So I grew up in the north of Iran, moved to Hull. Found it very hard. We were seen as different. That was the main thing that shocked me really. The bullying with me got really, really bad. I like being an athlete because he gets so much respect for it. I started doing a bit of kayaking. You're not going by the dress code of the Islamic Republic. Maybe kayaking is not for you. Gymnastics, same issue. Joined a football team. You should be playing football later. Always in the gym. My partner said to me, you know what? I'm seeing a lot of girls competing. So why don't you just go compete? But we won actually two overalls and won a top five placements at the European NPC uh, show. To the community, they're not just going to see a girl in a bikini. They're going to see a bodybuilder in Iran. There's no reason to legalize it because women shouldn't be bodybuilders. They can't even come abroad and compete and then go back. There will be long, long trials because the end of that route is just execution. Welcome back to the CoachCast podcast. My guest today is an IFBB bikini competitor and three-time Miami Pro winner. Welcome, Jada Milani. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm all good, I'm all good. Um, thank I'm you for the opportunity. <laughs> oh, no, thank you for sparing the time. I know that you're a very busy woman, so... Uh, Pleasure. Uh, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, We've been trying to set this up a while, but obviously competing yeah. in this summer and things... <laughs> Um, we'll get onto uh, onto the competitions because there was uh, a few rescheduling issues and that's quite interesting to talk about because if someone's prepping for so long and then yeah. having to reschedule it's um but I think I'm jumping ahead too far because at the beginning of each podcast what I normally like to do is just take a trip down memory lane talk about baby Jada what was your upbringing <laughs> like what was your cultural upbringing like and on all of that jazz well um so I grew up in the north of Iran. I was born in Iran and I grew up in the north of Iran near the Caspian Sea, so the Russian border. Um, so from a, a seaside beachy city, um, island girl to be honest, because where I'm from is literally a little island that's separated from the whole city. So um, yeah, so I grew up there with my parents, uh, mom and dad, no siblings at the time, and then um, moved to the UK as my dad was uh, in import and export. So um, he, they needed a representative in the company here. So we moved to the UK and we moved, we had to be at a, uh, a port. So we moved to Hull, Hull in East Yorkshire. <laughs> out of all places. Out of all places, yeah. <laughs> so north. Yeah, so um, North England was my first point of um, stop when I came to the UK. Uh, I was around seven, seven, yeah, turning eight at the time. Had no level of English, like we didn't even speak a word. Um, my dad just spoke as much as he could run the business with, um, not really anything uh, at a high level. My mom didn't speak a word of English either, so... I started school here in year four, yeah, end of year four, beginning of year five. Uh, yeah, so that was the ultimate beginning, how I moved here. Um, so the first question I probably have um, for that is, do you remember anything about Iran? Do you remember anything growing up? Because obviously, uh, seven years old, do you remember anything of, of like playing and things? Do you have any vivid memories of, of back home? Yeah, 100%. Um, 
I actually have a lot of memories of uh, my childhood in Iran. Um, you know, um, a lot of like the culture that was involved. You know, I went to a lot of weddings, um, and yeah, I uh, witnessed. I've got like five aunties from my mom's side, so. Uh, I am the eldest grandchild in that family. So I literally saw them all getting married. Um, so yeah, the, so you can see a lot of culture in like marriages and ceremonies. So I was, um, yeah, I saw a lot of that and I spent a lot of afternoons with my grandparents and I had a lot of cousins and yeah, I, I remember a lot from being back at home and sometimes my parents kind of were like oh you remember that and I'm just like yeah I do I remember it all you know all the trips that we used to go on with my dad and um he was very into exploring um everywhere in Iran so we would go out a lot you know on like weekend trips and stuff like that so yeah I learned a lot about the geography the history at a very early age before we had to leave it is uh, it is fascinating that when you're a child you do absorb a lot like uh, I used to go back home to India yeah. um, and to see my nana and things and I think when you go to to a different place at such a young age you, you I think it yeah. does broaden your horizons doesn't it like it, definitely you do definitely yeah it's sometimes I remember things I'm just like how did how did yeah. I just remember that it's just like small small things you know um but yeah it's it's re it's really cool that I have that memory and I'm honestly really grateful a lot of people say oh are you born here I'm like you know what I'm actually glad that I wasn't and I got to experience that childhood being in Iran and you know growing up with my grandparents because you know at an early age being departed from them was actually really difficult because I was with them all the time and um, I had two uncles who don't have a, much of a age gap between with me, uh, as you know, with like <laughs> our families. So they've got so many kids. So the last two are like boys, and they don't have a big age gap um, uh, with me. And I was very close with them. And uh, being departed from them and coming to the UK, I just felt so lonely. It just it was devastating for me, and I just wanted to be back. Um, I used to cry and say, you know what, I don't, I don't like it here. I was willing to leave my parents and go back to my grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> so I know my parents wasn't really happy about that. But yeah, I, I found it very hard adapting and being here. Yeah, I can, I can relate with the, uh, I think most uh, South Asians and Indians can probably relate with the family dynamics. A lot of my eldest yeah. cousins, I'm the youngest in my family, but a lot of my mm -hmm. oldest cousins, uh, yeah. probably closer to my parents age than they are mine so yeah it's sort yeah. of a similar situation <laughs> when yeah. you came obviously from it sounds like such a like a paradise the way that you described an uh, like an mm -hmm. island environment and then obviously yeah. going to, to Hull or respect intended yeah. to Hull but um, <laughs> it's probably very different and then not being able to yeah. speak the language and all these other barriers how how sort of I don't want to say tough but how much of a learning experience should I say was was that you know what, straight up, I'm going to say it was tough. Um, and we'll touch upon that a little bit more. But my teenage years and most of the childhood years growing up here, I can, I shouldn't, but I do. And I've gone past that phase now. But it was the worst part of my whole life up to now. 
because it was just so difficult. Um, where I was from, people were just so friendly, so chilled. Um, you know, I didn't know what racism was. I didn't what I didn't know the difference between you know the cultures and that you can not be accepted in a society. I had no experience of that. I had not seen any of that. I mean, my city was a city that the whole of Iran would travel to for domestic holidays. Mm-hmm. And um, because it had a seaside, it had like a very famous lagoon um, with a lot of, uh, you know, um, things to see and explore, uh, even scientists, it was a hotspot for scientists, for Europeans. Um, so I had seen such a good side of the world and then I was brought to Yorkshire and at the time this was like 21 years ago or or so yeah and at the time there wasn't many foreigners or Iranians or Asians in that city mm-hmm. at the time and so for a lot of British people we were seen as different and um, it was hard for them to accept us because um, it was just starting to get like more and more people like us were coming, more Iranians, more Iraqis, um, a lot of which were like refugees, asylum seekers for people who have had like a lot of trouble back home and have traveled um, for a safe place here. And I could see that they were given a hard time. And I also was given a very hard time growing up um, and being, you know, in the school system here and it that just that was the main thing that shocked me really more more than anything um just the difference of the environment I was in um being surrounded by so much love from family uh, and friends and then suddenly I'm in a country uh, in a city uh, where I have no family other than my mom and dad and the people around me think I'm I'm not good enough or I was really confused at the time um I I didn't understand why I wasn't being accepted in society in their society I just saw myself as one of the other kids I couldn't understand what went on through their heads or what was going on in their families that it was so hard for them to be my friend and you know to be patient with my language or even the adults to be honest um, there were times where I just didn't have the patience and I just felt like I was in a place where I didn't belong basically. yeah th- that's what I was going to ask there to be fair is because I've had this conversation with obviously a lot of uh, a lot of people on this podcast so far coming from multicultural backgrounds is is the bullying thing at school because for, for example myself I'm from Newcastle so even a bit mm-hmm. further north and whole and yeah. um, again lack of diversity and and um, at the time anyway Obviously, I think everywhere now it's becoming a bit more diverse. But yeah. the conversation that I have with a lot of people is, do you think it you get bullied regardless? Like, because kids will be kids. Do you know what I mean? And they just pick on the one factor that you stand out on. So mm-hmm. the kid with glasses will be picked on for glasses. The kid who's overweight will be picked on for overweight. If he's a ginger kid, you'll get picked on for that. And yeah. and then because we're different, and obviously you can see myself, I, I take three out of four of them boxes. Do you know what I mean? I'm a bit overweight. I've got glasses <laughs> and a brown. Do you know what I mean? So it's probably just one of the angles they can attack you I at. I 
I still don't think that gives anyone the reason to bully anyone. I mean, maybe it's because I'm speaking from a place that I've um, I felt that um, firsthand, and I know the feeling of it. But you're you're absolutely right. Yes, bu bullying will always exist. But the thing is, with race, it's a little bit behind the doors still, and it's not widely spoken about in schools, as you know. And it's kind of hidden. It's those like little remarks, and you know, the sly smiles, and then they'll just say something. You might the penny might not even drop. That was just them being racist to me and then they'll walk yeah. past it but with like um like being overweight and some certain looks that is uh, a lot more common in all races that has that gets spoken about well you you're not allowed to bully anybody yes you're not allowed to bully anyone for their race or for their hair color and it's a little bit i feel i felt like it was a little bit stricter than the subject of race oh no he wasn't being racist but i felt that way i felt yeah. like there is you're putting a difference it's a matter of proving where what that person has said is coming from you know what i mean but like after a while you can tell from the body language the way someone talks to you the you know the respect they give you Do, i don't know if you're understanding what i'm saying or no no a hundred percent, I understand. Because again, similarly, I, I've had the sly remarks that can be passed on as jokes in a crowd or something at school, and and yeah. you're you're the butt of the joke, and it is probably yeah. from a racial stand of uh, yeah. point of view. Sorry, but um, yeah, it's just an interesting one because, as I say, like I've had the conversation with quite a few people now, and everyone comes from a different perspective depending on the things that they've experienced. Similarly yeah. to yourself, I think. I've experienced a, a bit like yourself, uh, probably not to the same extent, because obviously I was I was born here. I could speak the language. It was easier for me to mm -hmm. integrate. Um, but you still do get the comments. And yeah. maybe it's because it's so much of a bigger issue if it is mm -hmm. racism that they want to power off as not, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because it's such a serious issue yeah. and it has a lot of consequences if it's proven that that is the case then people like in schools adults just don't want to get involved with yeah. it. do you know yeah. what i mean they'll just brush it under the carpet and this keeps happening whereas if someone picks on you for having ginger hair they have to be really bold with that with their remarks to do you know what i mean to, mm -hmm. to bully you about your ginger hair they'll say something that to refer to your hair but they won't be able to directly say something to refer to your skin color or your culture they'll just create this hate relationship with you and they'll say it's not because of your race it's just because you're weird yeah what is this culture you have? How come your dad doesn't let you do this or your mom doesn't let you do this? You people are not normal. And it starts to escalating into something that it's nothing to do with the color of your skin mm -hmm. or you. It's just you're weird. And you're weird because you're different, <laughs> is what they're trying to say. And you're yes, different because, exactly. yeah, I, I, yeah, I get it. Um, and so when you came, sorry, that was 21 years ago. So 2000, obviously. 2000, yeah. 
again a conversation i've had with a few people is the the thing that happened in september of 2001 is probably a turning point for a, a lot of um exactly, ethnic minority yeah. groups and i'm make, um, i'm guessing that doesn't make anything easier no that just made everything even harder um i think it exactly a year after when this happened um the the bullying with me got really really bad and it got to a point where i was physically um abused as well constantly like people ganging off on me after school i was in hospital wow. a number of occasions um uh, school was like the worst place for me to go and it was funny that um i would get beaten up and then i would get questioned the next day by the teachers as to why did you start the fight and i was always very confused how can i start a fight with seven other people mix of girls and boys who who just beating me up and now i'm sat here answering questions where it should be them um do, do you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. um yes it got worse after uh september 11 and it just felt like it was so much hate that they felt more free to come out with um because of this happening and because a lot more people were speaking out um they felt like it was okay to you know um make it obvious that it's, yeah it's sort of got a pass because it was literally the country was against like people who look like us do you know what i mean like yeah. people who were either yeah. middle eastern or, or brown and, and turban women for a lot of sikhs there's mm-hmm. a lot of turban women sikh yeah. men who obviously also got a lot of backlash from it and the muslim yeah. community as a whole obviously got like a lot of backlash from that and it, it obviously was terrible i don't know um if it is getting better i hope it is uh, but like recently um with the the whole taliban situation in afghanistan i think we've seen a, yeah. a bit of a spike up again of it and and it is obviously not great because then whatever kids parents are saying or or uh, when they're watching the news or just the news in general kids pick up on that and even if they it, don't yeah. have malice they sort of subconsciously pick it up and it is it's, yeah. a, it's a very awkward situation it'll always be one or two kids that will have that insight from their parents mm-hmm. and then the rest of the children the kids will just follow yeah what those two kids are hating and they won't need a reason to hate and a lot of these kids um they had a lot of trouble at home so and they were from backgrounds who um you know that alcoholic dad mums into drugs you know mental health issues um and i remember at the time i used to even think why is my bully doing that and then um i would over time kind of um spot them in the in the you know um head teacher's office you know talking about issues that they've had or you know people talking about you know so and so's mum's done this or so and so's dad's done this and then i used to think maybe it actually isn't me maybe he has or she has a problem at home and i'm just a punching bag and and i used to try and justify it even being a young age now i think you know a lot of kids being bullied they 
they wouldn't think like that. They'll be like, well, it's not, it's just not fair. But I used to even think about the bully. Yeah. Um, it could be that he or she's going through a lot and is bringing it to school. And because everybody else has started this thing with me, bullying me, that person also feels like they can just take it out on me as well. And that is another aspect of the society, which a lot of people forget that bullies bully for a reason as well. Um, most of the times because they don't have a stable home. Well, it's like they say, it's like hurt people, hurt people, I think is the phrase, isn't it? Yeah. So, and yeah. it is exactly that. Yeah. Um, but then again, like, uh, I think you're, you're probably a very compassionate per- person to make uh, excuses for for the person who's bullying you. I think it was more than that. I was just trying to justify it in my own head to see why am I such a hateable person because that's what I thought back then. Uh, and I genuinely believe that I had something wrong with me. <laughs> so it's just sad. So something that you mentioned earlier, and um, I don't know if we, we, you, you could give me any uh, sort of explanation for this, but because it's purely out of ignorance, um, mm-hmm. is you know when you were mentioning how a lot of uh, Iranians and Iraqis sort of came at uh, a similar time, is mm-hmm. this the sort of um, Kurdistan sort of, yeah yeah could you explain this to me because i know briefly of this but i'm not like a hundred um yeah um i was quite uh young back then but i know in iran and in iraq and kurdistan there was a lot of political issues going on and people were actually running for their lives and there was a war going on um you know for iraq and kurdistan and um they had to literally run for their lives and a lot of the problems in Iran was political issues um, and social issues. And a lot of people were getting, were running because uh, they were like on their last warning with government or they were, you know, waiting in line for um, court orders that would probably be up for ex- execution uh, and things like that. So for just simple things, maybe being caught with alcohol or um not having the perfect type of hijab on and they were on their third warning or uh, maybe you know anything else anything there's a lot of a lot of things that are forbidden in Iran so people would run into issues like that and it was very bad at the time because the government had started being a lot more strict so there was a lot of like young people literally running uh, from Iran for their lives, basically to save their lives. So, and then the UK was accepting um, asylum seekers um, and had offered to give home to these people uh, in danger. So that's why there was a lot of refugees coming into the UK at the time. And I think, and this is funny because I think before um before all of this happening and that side of the world coming there was a lot of refugees from Kosovo that had come and I think that was because of the previous war I think that happened there as well yeah and that's Bosnian war isn't it Bosnia yeah the Bosnian war so they would refer to us as Kosovans and I was so confused at the time (laughs) so confused still to this day sometimes i laugh i'm like they used to call me a co- they used to say they used to say oh you cosovan i was like 
where? What? That's nowhere near where I'm from, but why? Because previous to us, there was hate towards them. Right. So you, it was just like round two, basically. That's how they saw you. Round two. But then when I found out where Kosovo was, and, and then I found out what they look entirely different was, and they didn't look European, and they're much more lighter skin. And so why were they getting a lot of hate? They were getting a lot of hate because they just came into a country and they were apparently taking over all the jobs and apparently taking over all the housing and that's why they were being hated so with this this thing was just continuing and it got to us well, it still um, continues today like yeah. you see with brexit yeah. do you know what I mean and it was the same excuses that we used for that yeah. but we'll not get on to yeah. that because that's a that's a yeah. that's a way more <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah that was my childhood basically in a, in a nutshell growing up in, in it's, it's very home. fascinating because I feel like people who do end up achieving success do normally no very few people come from a perfect household and then go on to achieve greatness is, is how i uh is how i see it so if it can if it gives you any solace <laughs> um <laughs> that, that sort of a thing that, that, that can be said um but the do, do you think the maybe language barrier they get bullied and things do you think that helped you get into sport when you were a kid because i know that you went to like football and other sports because it's it's not a yeah. it's not a place that you need language exactly yeah it's a place where you can just express yourself without having to talk um but i think the sporting background mainly came from my dad uh because he was um in the iranian national team for kayaking and um yeah and he was like one of the best in his team they had come over um, for the, I think it was the world championships to Finland and the Olympics in London. So wow. he had, yeah, at, uh, he was a very high achiever in his field. And um, that always inspired me. And uh, also uh, my mom's side of family, as I said, because I was from a seaside city, that was their main, kayaking was their main sport. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of like, success in our family in that sporting area and um, so I grew up around quite sporty people uh, at high level and um, my dad was always my inspiration and I always thought you know what Um, I like being that person I like being an athlete because he gets so much respect for it and that was what I really liked about it because people would just approach him and talk about like the world championships and the Olympics. And I'm just like, wow, this is my dad, you know, it, it, it was like inspirational for me. Um, even now, like as I grew up, I realized even more and more how much these competitions were so important, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that my dad was involved in that, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have that to look up to. Uh, so I think that's where it mainly came from. And then, um, I realized that um, I wanted to be, because I wanted to be an athlete. That's what I wanted to be. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Um, I started doing a bit of kayaking with my dad. And then he 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 soon clocked that kayaking in this country for a girl, it's not the same as Iran. Um, you are, you're not going by the dress code of the Islamic Republic. So you're a bit more free. And my dad was a little bit strict on that. 
and so he was like mm, maybe kayaking is not for you right. maybe look into another sport so <laughs> then I went into gymnastic same issue and then that was very short and then um he was just he he was cult his culture had brought him up like that and being mm -hmm. it was very difficult for him as well being um in England and having to adapt that culture having a daughter you know that for him was a little bit difficult to absorb and um go by so um yeah and then I just joined a joined a school team for football and um I wasn't very good in the beginning I, I just enjoyed being on the field I just enjoyed playing a sport being part of a team uh, I absolutely loved it like that I could bring something to a team and feel important and that mm. was it being given that feeling that I was needed in a team and being important which was it felt like that's what I've been looking for all this time because I've been bullied so much and hated so much and looked at as the outsider. Finally, I was part of a team that the teammates didn't really approve of. But luckily, I had a coach that was very nice and, you know, saw something in me and helped me nurture my skills in football. And um, uh, later, a, a friend of my dad's, um, his wife was involved in the whole circles hockey team. And on the weekends, I wanted to play more sports. And my dad said, you know what, you're just so into this, just go, go with her on the weekends and, you know, do whatever you want to do. Because she was a lady and she would take care of me. And, you know, that cultural thing came in again. and. Um, I, I didn't have to wear as much revealing clothes for hockey. I think he approved of that. Um, but, you know, he, di he didn't like me playing football. He always said to me, you're a girl, you shouldn't be playing football. You should be doing other things. But then I thought, what? You know, you, you've had a problem with everything. But then you can't, play, play? you can't do gymnastics because it's too revealing. So then... Yeah, <laughs> it's like the clothes is too tight and blah, blah. And I was like, what, what what do I do so I just stuck to hockey because she, that person that would take me there she was just like my savior basically um so and then it got really serious hockey got really serious I uh, got into the team and then my dad saw oh my god she's like leaving all her studies to be a hockey player or a, oh, or no. a football <laughs> player and then yeah and then the bend it like Beckham situation <laughs> <laughs> literally the bend it like Beckham situation started um and I literally had to like secretly oh I'm at, I'm at a um, after school maths class I'm at the library yeah. <laughs> I'm at the library and I was like playing football or on the on the bus coming back like avoiding my dad's phone calls because he would pick me up and drop me off from school it was oh, very no. protective so I was like, oh, my God, I'm coming back with a team. Like, imagine doing something good, but still having a lot of stress. Yeah. Uh, because of cultural reasons. I tried to fight him for as long as I could. But then I just, as I grew up, I just understood the fact that, look, if he's been nurtured that way for, at the time, he was maybe 35 to 35, 39 years. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm here trying to change everything we thought that was right all these years. It's just yeah. impossible. It must be um, difficult for himself as well because he's coming from that conservative sort of traditional background yeah. and then into a more like liberal sort of country. And then it is it mm-hmm. is a culture clash, which I think a lot of first gens do, yeah. like first generation immigrants are, are normally at the brunt of it because their parents are the ones who came over. And it is that constant battle of, assimilation versus tradition and trying to meet that middle point of, of absolutely like, do you know what I mean it is it is difficult yeah 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 it you know I I did feel at times quite sorry for him and then again I'm saying that I was still young at this point I think I was like 14 15 mm-hmm. I was still young but I I would still consider you know why is my dad finding it so hard you know I still wanted to you know, understand him, and um, at times I would just step back and be like, "Okay, fine," you know. But it was it was still hard because it was just taking away opportunities. And then um, I got really good and got scouted for like junior teams, and my dad just wouldn't accept that, and um, he wanted me to continue studying and focus on my studies and college and like any other Asian dad who wanted me to be a dentist <laughs> so <laughs> so that was like built into me from a very young age at nine years old he put me in his friend's um practice and said you know what make her like a dentistry show her the money show her the money and she will stay <laughs> and I was like no it's just yeah. not me <laughs> so yeah you tried everything basically um but yeah, um, so I think that's um, that was a very difficult phase again to deal with. Um, my dad being just so against me and my choice of sport and not leaving me with a lot of choices. <laughs> so, can, can I just say for for the the woman who was the the hockey coach, I feel like more people in her position are needed as well, like cultural sort of figureheads in extracurricular activities because then yeah. it makes it a bit more like if there is someone from the community that is yeah. the person and obviously more women to do that as well for the girls because they feel yeah. a lot safer so yeah. if, if there are more football coaches from minority backgrounds at men yeah. and women if they're more gymnastic coaches if there's more hockey coaches basketball whatever there is if there's more from that minority or your community backgrounds who are getting involved in them it makes it a lot easier for the children like yourself 100%. because your That's dad was a very like, good fine. point do you know what I mean like I think it is more important for that to happen going forward and we've, we've seen it in the Sikh community that a lot of the fighters who are coming through now have been nurtured from coaches who wanted to be fighters when they were younger are into martial arts mm. and now are coaching the next generation but it became becomes a bit easier because he's an Indian coach do you mean in yeah. similar situation to yourself then it's just something that popped into my head while we yeah were absolutely listening. you're absolutely right I haven't even thought about it in that way but um yeah because my dad felt like he could trust this person much more and trust leaving her daughter um you know his daughter with this with this lady um and look you know for hours traveling you know going away to different cities um for matches and stuff like that coming back late at night you know as a as an Iranian dad he must have needed to really trust someone at that level to let me actually 
go and and do what I what I love doing. So you're absolutely right, and I hope that our cultural differences um, don't stop us from letting our kids in doing what they love and actually being uh, an example for the community and allowing other children to get involved as well. So that was a really good point that you mentioned. 100%. And I think nowadays it's probably, it is it is a lot easier because we, we do have social media, we have Instagram. If you want to follow somebody who is excelling in a sport and obviously it, there'll be a lot of Iranian yeah. gamers who want to get into fitness who will be looking up to you. True. But um, a question that I, I think... I want to ask is did you get the line of you can do it after you're married because that's something that's quite commonly uh said in like a in a south asian family and like a household no. No? in my family we wouldn't talk about my marriage you see marriage is a, is a very key thing in I've, I've noticed in like indian pakistani bengali cultures i've actually grown up grew up with um these cultures and marriage is a very big deal and the girl knows and openly talks to the family about it or the family talks about it but with Iranians um, it's not like that uh, it's like what are you thinking about marriage for you ain't getting married yet like right. you need to study you need to be a doctor you need to be you know an engineer um, forget about marriage like even like mixing with the other sexes was like very not it's not talked about it was right it was like as if it was something that you you should be ashamed of at that age to talk about it it wasn't it's not something that's been open ever in my family anyway mm-hmm. like my mom wouldn't even speak to me about it like about marriage or about guys or anything like that so that is a big difference as well i don't think and i've seen a lot of iranian families around me they don't uh, speak openly about marriage to their daughters. Um, not until I think 23, 22. Um, I think that mar- their, their age for marriage is much older in Iran these days, where it used to be very, very young. But now it's not like that. And no, I, th- I think it's I never had that it. conversation. Yeah, sorry. I think it is similar for like um, like South Asians in that respect of, of twenty. Like basically, after university is normally when the conversation mm. is is brought up after you've completely st- your studies. But sometimes it's but they like, would they wouldn't even refer to it as like right. oh after marriage you can yeah you can think about that after marriage like marriage wasn't opened up to a girl so she wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it. Then the next thing would be talking about boys then the next thing would be oh i have a boyfriend so they wouldn't even allow <laughs> yeah. it that barrier was there and it was like so <laughs> full on yeah i get like my, they don't want to they don't want to be slow it was unless you get caught with a boyfriend and they'll be like oh you have a boyfriend how dare you like and then the that's a separate window like, <laughs> you're, you're never seen as the same daughter again if you were caught with a boyfriend <laughs> but yeah on, on the topic of marriage i guess um how did you get into bodybuilding because uh, from what i understand it was sort of after marriage wasn't it that you sort of were going to the gym consistently and i think your other half basically said you take this so seriously why not try to enter a competition 
So um, after being taken, um, after so many opportunities being taken from me in the sporting field, um, I was just always just stayed, you know, active, always in the gym, um, just being involved, doing different things here and there. And um, gym was just always a part of my life. And I, I, I started to notice that, you know what, um, as I grew older, I, I thought, you know what, maybe I used to just play team sports to prove something to people to prove that I can be part of something and that I can be accepted. I was always trying to be accepted. But then when I was in the gym on my own, doing my own thing, doing my own research and then seeing improvements or just liking the atmosphere, liking being the person, a person who goes to the gym, you know, that itself um, just brought on the idea of, you know, I don't have to prove anything to anyone um no one I don't have to try and get people to accept me this sport is just me versus me and I'm enjoying it I'm having fun and I'm seeing improvements and so because of constantly being in the gym um my partner said to me you know what I'm seeing a lot of girls competing and you know he knows there's a lot of opportunities obviously were taken for me and it was like you're you're so you're so good. I can tell you you love it. So why don't you just go compete um, and try it out? So many people are doing it these days. Um, maybe go speak to a coach and see what it's like. How you got to start and start out. And he had no idea, no idea what he was pushing me into. And sometimes he says, "Well, if I knew." I don't know why I said it, but if I knew what it involved, <laughs> I would have just shut my mouth and not said it. <laughs> but um, obviously he has supported me and he loves that I'm in this field, but sometimes he sees how much I work hard and he it's like, it's a funny feeling. Um, and I think not many people will understand unless they've lived with someone that sacrifices so much for you know um an achievement they're looking for and a goal and the way he feels is like uh, I don't know how to put it like a father does for their child like always very protective very cautious and he gets like that when I'm in prep and he's constantly like have you drank enough water have you had your meals are you okay and he sees me like doing twice cardio and he's like I wouldn't be able to do it how the hell do you do it are you still alive hello are you there (laughs) I'm fine I'm fine and he he worries a lot and just seeing that is like it breaks my heart sometimes I can see you have no energy to push forward but you get that energy I don't know where from but you still manage to do it and we still win and uh, the process is like him being impressed as well not just me so yeah that's how I got into it and he then I went and spoke to a coach and then we started out the journey in 2018 late 2018 going oh, into wow. 19 yeah I didn't realize it was that late I thought it was a bit before because obviously you have accomplished so much so quickly uh, I thought yeah. you'd be doing it for a lot longer when, oh, yeah. Yeah. when you made that decision obviously growing up and having them opportunities taken from you did that that sort of thing sort of come into your mind of like maybe 
I don't know, the, the cultural side will, will conflict with mm-hmm. competition? Um, yeah, I did. And um, obviously that was something that was um, at the back of my mind. The first thing was my dad. How is he going to react? But then, um, I don't know, with most of the Asian cultures, once you get married and you're with someone, um, it's like he has the first say um, and your dad has the second say. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably going to kill me if they if this or this. But yeah, so my partner was like, you know what? I'll, I'll speak to you now. Don't worry about it. Um, and we kind of made this decision, spoke to a coach, and then it kind of started. And we went um, for dinner around um, to my mom's and uh, my my father just kind of mentioned it. He he just said, oh, by the way, um, do you know uh, what your daughter's getting involved in? And I thought, that is not a great way to start this <laughs> He sounds like he's about to truck you under the bus. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's funny like that. He, he likes to like um, tease me a little bit with things like this and just makes me nervous. And then I was like, um, he goes, what you're getting involved in again you're always up to something and I said oh I'm gonna do women's bodybuilding and he goes what wear a two-piece and go on stage and stand there for what do what why and I said dad you're a sportsman like you love bodybuilding all your life you've got books about it and you've always showed me these books and it's always fascinated me and I, I can be I think I can be good at it um and then he was just like you know what it's nothing to do with me anymore your husband can decide you know it's um and then looked at um Omid and said you know what this is ridiculous you have no dignity son why are you why are you entertaining this idea why are you <laughs> pushing her to do this are you not going to say anything just because she wants to do it, you're going to let it. Yeah. And he was like, look, I'm not going to stop her doing anything she wants to do. If she thinks she can be good at this, if she thinks she can get something out of it, whether it's just self-satisfaction or actually achieve higher higher goals, then let it be. I'm not going to stop her. Um, why should I? Come on, man. We live in, in, in the UK. We don't live in Iran. The women of our country are being you know every day stop uh in doing what they want to do and what we we moved here to have the same life to follow under the government regime and he was like i don't care i don't care whatever i don't want to know and it and he didn't come to my first show he refused to come to my first show but he did come and visit me at home and he brought me cupcakes (sighs) And he said something that stuck with me um, till this day. And he said, even though I don't approve of the sport that you do, but I do respect you as an athlete because I know it's a hard journey. And um, I'm so happy that you achieved the highest level um, already and achieved what you wanted. Um, and Aww. he just kind of gave me a hug and a kiss. I was like, okay, all right. Is, is <laughs> we're this getting because, somewhere. This is progress. <laughs> yeah, we're getting somewhere. But it made me think, is this because I won? <laughs> Would he have said the same thing if I hadn't won? 
but then he proved himself a little bit more as we went along and uh, did more shows and stuff but we can come to that later but i think that that's probably more impactful the wording he used because at the beginning of our conversation you were saying how you looked up to him and the respect yeah. that he got as an athlete and the respect that other athletes gave him as a person because he achieved as much as he did and for him yeah. to use the same wording to you i that think that's surely, what it was yeah yeah, yeah. surely yeah, that's, I think very that's why it sat in my heart um because of the wording that he used yeah because that's what that's what I wanted. I wanted that respect. And um, when I started out, this was obviously, um, I told you how I felt about my dad reacting to this, but to the community, I just said, you know what, I'm going to make this into something that when they look at my pictures or when they see me on stage, they're not just going to see a girl in a bikini. Mm -hmm. They're going to see a bodybuilder who's worked really hard to achieve a goal and, um, to do what they love and to be an athlete. I will try my best to get the Iranian people or the Asian community to see me as an athlete and more than just a girl in a bikini. 100%. So, and I think I have done that to that to some extent. Obviously, you can't change the mentality of everyone, but um, I have had so much more love than I thought I would um, throughout this journey from my people. So let's, let's talk about that as well. So, because before we started obviously recording, you were mentioning that this sport is basically illegal for women back home. Obviously, yeah. we were speaking beforehand about women getting three strikes for, for not even having the correct hijab. Even yeah. your dad not obviously liking you wearing football shirt, uh, shorts, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously this is uh, a two-piece, which is a, a bit more revealing than football shirts. Yeah. <laughs> a lot um, more. <laughs> a lot more. So, but you, you have received like a, a lot of messages from from young women in Iran who, who look up to you and, and you are pushing the boundaries. Um, and obviously it is 2021. We live in yeah. like, we live in modern society where, women and men obviously compete at the highest level in majority sports at an equal level yeah. so why not bodybuilding especially if i'm not mistaken like there have been some incredible male bodybuilders in iranian history like even oh, back yeah. in like arnold days yeah, um, yeah. so it, how has all of that sort of situation unfolded since you've sort of started your career and started obviously posting on social media and gaining that following related to your, your competitions? Um, you know, I receive messages every day from, from women that um, just like when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, the society around me was telling me I'm not good enough and I can't be good enough um, to be accepted. These women in Iran or in countries similar are accepting that they, they're not allowed to be, for example, involved in women's bodybuilding because women are not made for that. There's no reason to legalize it because women shouldn't be bodybuilders. Women shouldn't lift heavy weights. It makes no sense. Um, and they are, you know, believing that and it's like their brothers and their dads would have also gotten into that 
kind of mentality and would laugh about it, you know, and always see women as weak. Um, and only tough people, tough men can lift heavy weights. And that mentality has been, you know, put into them. And they, they truly believe that until believed that until they started seeing women like me get involved in these sports and so that concept of women are weak and they shouldn't lift heavy weights that was now out of the question and they've opened their eyes more as to well she's done it she's been accepted in another society so why aren't we giving getting given that chance um, you know, so it's it's like it was an eye opener. Obviously, I wasn't the first Iranian woman to step on stage. There's been other girls as well. You know, I have my own followings, and they had their own followings, and thousands here, thousands there, and it's just opening more and more eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think now I'm getting messages that you know what, keep doing what you're doing because um, we're so proud that you've proven this society wrong and you know, proven the past generation is wrong. And we are just, we are here. We can't do it. We can't get involved in this sport. But seeing someone from our own do it is a great feeling. It's a great pride um, for, for the Iranian woman. And that's how they talk to me. And that's what they say to me. And I forever will cherish that because it means so much to me. Because when I first started, I didn't start out to, you know, make the Iranian woman realize what they're missing out on or to send a message out to them. But then I realized, you know what, just by doing what I'm doing, I'm sending a message 100%. and I'm opening more eyes. 100%. Yeah. I think, yeah, obviously, like, you, as you said, you, you did it because you had the passion um, uh, to start it. But. Uh, and I've said this throughout like a lot of podcast episodes is, is when you see people who look like you achieve greatness in what you want to do, it becomes a bit more achievable. Do you know what I mean? Like it becomes a bit yeah. more realistic and it's sort of similar to what we were saying about the community figureheads before, like the, the woman who taught you hockey is like, if you can show your parents at a young age, like look, this person is achieving it and they can sort of achieve it at a high level and they come from a similar background to myself yeah. then it means that it, it becomes a, just a little bit easier to persuade them and it becomes a little bit easier to and to show the path to success if that yeah. makes sense exactly yeah yeah absolutely what was the the um has has there been a lot of change since obviously you said that other other women have uh, stepped on stage before you and I assume that there's probably more women in a variety of sports in around you in the past let's say decade has can you see a shift in mentality and change in that side of things or yes um I mean to my surprise I found out that so many women in the past two three years have gotten involved in bodybuilding and it's like I'm speaking to people back in Iran and they're like it's become the most popular sport amongst women and nearly everybody now has a gym membership and the fact the thing is that they wanted like there's a lot of them obviously the ones that enjoy it and like the sport are going to the maximum even though there's no stage for them to step on they're mm -hmm. going full full on 
with their training, with their dieting. And um, the thing is, they can't even come abroad and compete and then go back. That's another thing. So I always think, girl, like you're just doing it because you absolutely love it, because you must love it to be able to put your body through that physically and mentally. That, can you explain the why they can't compete and come back? Because this again well, something yeah. we discussed, but so the neighboring country Turkey, they they have stages and women can step on their stages. So Iranian people can travel to Turkey very freely, and so if they were com- to come to Turkey and stand on stage and compete, going back, um, it's obviously there'll be pictures, there'll be media there and stuff, and they will be representing Iran. And it's not good, it's not seen um, appropriate in the eyes of the Islamic Republic. So you can enter, you can go to Iran, but you could be captured, you could be imprisoned, and there will be long, long trials before, because the end of that route is just execution. And so, I mean, they they arrested a uh, a lady that was, um, I think she was a power lifter and she was just very big on social media and they arrested her and took her in because of her videos on Instagram because she didn't have uh, appropriate hijab or um, she was promoting like weightlifting for women. They didn't like that aspect of it. And so all together, they arrested her, they took her in, and there were so many protests, so many petitions signed to try and free her. And I think um, because she wasn't in a two-piece, she just didn't have a very good um, hijab on, she was released, but after months and months of being in prison. So... That's why I'm thinking, well, you can't really do anything in the end of it, but you're just doing it because you love it, because you have a passion. And that that's harder to have that drive to go towards a goal of maybe one day you could step on stage. So it's, that's the situation. It's absolutely of- unbelievable. Like, obviously, it, as we already said, like, it is modern society 2021 all these things and you don't really take into consideration some of the things that uh you would uh, that are given in western society that obviously aren't in some places in the world and i don't want this to sound like from my perspective that i'm bashing any country or anything or like that i'm saying that people are behind or in front or anything like that it's simply i I like speaking to those who have overcame obstacles to achieve some level of success. And and that's what we're talking about now. If we boil it down to pretty much all the episodes and yeah, because I don't want it to sound like that. I'm, I'm, I'm bashing around because I'm fully not like, as we yeah. spoke about at the beginning, um, it is a beautiful country as, as we both said, but it is just incredible that this, these kind of situations are still ongoing. And, and, we spoke about this briefly before we start recording and it's similar to like in India where free speech, uh, when you talk about things like 1984, there's a, there's a guy called Jukdar Singh Joel who's in prison for basically writing a blog. And yeah. um, when we compare the stories, it's, it's sort of similar. He's been in prison for I think three, four years now, but it is actually unbelievable that these things are just happening anywhere in the world. Yeah. And I think it, yeah. it's incredible that people still do it 
Do you know what I mean? Like that woman that you're saying, she's still doing yeah, it. Yeah, still do it. That, that's, that's what I find fascinating. Um, but I'd like to refer to something else. You know, when, when something is forbidden, um, more people become drawn to it. Yeah. And when something is not open um, and you can't freely access a lot of information on it or you know it's not spoken about um as much then you could end up on the wrong route of that subject so what i want to say is that because it has been forbidden for a long time there isn't there there aren't women um, bodybuilder coaches Mm-hmm. to guide these women forward and to you know inform them of the side effects and the health issues and everything that they need to consider being in this sport so they're just going by what they are seeing on social media because they don't have access to much else yeah. or youtube videos which nobody actually certifies that it's right or wrong Mm-hmm. um or google with plenty of uh, you know wrongs and rights on that so um that concerns me because um these women are kind of going into it with a little bit of a closed eye and sometimes i worry for them uh, for the you know supplements they use and the fact that they feel like they need to use supplements or they need to use um, steroids or you know the type that they're using because they don't have the right guidance yeah. because it's not it's not made ava- available to them you know there hasn't been bodybuilding coaches that have been developed uh, in Iran that um, can really coach uh, a woman. Uh, to to such physiques uh, that's like you know for stage or so on uh, there are I mean don't get me wrong there are amazing coaches but they don't have expertise in you know training someone for bikini or for wellness or these categories that are for women and dieting a woman with all the hormones involved and all the you know other stuff so that is something that does concern me that unfortunately because it is forbidden uh, the lack there's a lack of knowledge uh, and it could in the long term hurt uh, the women that are involved in this sport in my country definitely uh, 100% agree like imagine a, a woman going to compete for the first time and uh, I've spoken to a female competitor before uh, called Akam and she was describing that um, during prep uh, it's very common for a lot of women to lose their menstrual cycle uh, yeah. because the, the body's just that depleted that your your body doesn't prioritize um obviously the the natural cycle uh, yeah, so, so it just removes it but if if you're yeah. not aware of a situation like that just for an example yeah 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 small example yeah yeah it could be a very scary situation and and 100%. obviously when we're speaking about hormones it's completely different for men and women even body structures completely different to men and women yeah. working around all of them it would be it is education essentially isn't it it's just educating forward educating, but how, how can yeah. you do that if, if it's 
there's a barrier in in and it's illegal that the barrier is quite a big one <laughs> yeah 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 and it's a country where um steroids are very easy to get hold of and mm -hmm. pharmaceutical level as well uh and because it's so easy to get hold of they look at a male a bodybuilder and they see a list of you know um steroids that person is using and they think nothing of it and they're just like okay we'll we'll use that as well we'll do that as well but you are a female you're different your body you know is different you you can't do what the rest is doing even one female can't be doing what some another female is doing everybody's body is different and um the topic of steroids in iran is a big big topic at the moment and i feel like the tsunami of death is coming to Iran for these bodybuilders we've had a lot of death in bodybuilding even over here mm -hmm. uh in the past year so that's very sad um but in Iran it's it's even it's even worse because it's just so easy to get hold of it and I see that these women are getting driven towards using these drugs without even thinking that you know I have conversation with people and they ask me oh Jada, should I use this? Should I use that before cardio? And I'm like, Jesus, like what? Yeah. What are you talking about? What? Who told you this is okay? Why? Why are we talking about drugs? Are you getting on stage? Even if you was getting on stage, you don't need to. And I have to really, really sit down and talk to these girls and really make sure they understand. And I, I put in the hours. I honestly do to try and emphasize how important it is that they don't put anything in their body that um someone doesn't else some other there. bodybuilder and doesn't need to be there yeah so that that really that is a topic that really upsets me at the moment and i'm trying my best to stress it out to women out there that look i'm standing on nbc european stage and i haven't used anything to this state because i have not needed it i've not needed to uh, and that's me at a professional level in this sport so <laughs> it is crazy and plus like if they see a list of steroids that somebody has used they've probably seen it on google which is it's probably not the most reliable source as we said before yeah. i keep i keep on obviously referring to india and i apologize to do so but a similar yeah, situation yeah. Has, has has happened is happening over there where kids on the first time they go to the gym uh are getting offered diana ball yeah. do you know what i mean it's like what the hell like people are dying of heart attacks scary. it's and scary it's, it is yeah. very scary because their coaches want want return customers because they want instant impact straight away and that's obviously at the lower level of like people just going into the gym to look more aesthetically pleasing and then the the coach who's meant to be the informed person is he is a shortcut you'll look jacked True, in a yeah. couple of days and yeah. then they get repeat custom but then yeah when the kid has a heart attack they don't report it as it's from steroids they, they report it as something else or like natural causes and it's been a lot Absolutely. of um, heart attacks yeah, have, same quote, thing unquote, in Iran, causes. yeah 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 same thing in Iran. a lot of people don't have a lot to lose and a lot of people um you know have a difficulty um living life um with a lot of wealth do you know what i mean so mm. i'm not going to say poverty because Iran isn't a poor country, uh, but because of the government, uh, they are having a lot of difficulty, a lot of restrictions. And um, when you don't have a lot to lose, you want to get seen quickly. 
you don't care yeah. about the side effects. Yeah. Uh, and you're just going to use whatever grade of steroids you can get your hands on and how much ever of it to just be seen, you know, um, as soon as possible by the big people in the industry and the big stages. So that, that is definitely really sad. And I don't know if it's, I've, I've got a very skewed perspective on, on performance enhancement drugs in general, but for me, it's, it's, it's still a supplement at the end of the day. You still have to reach a certain level and you still have to supplement your training with it. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's creatine or an injection in, in yeah. your thigh. Yeah. At the end of the day, you still have to be at a certain level and, and going consistently to the gym for it to even have the effect. Yeah. If you're injecting Absolutely. yourself with X amount of energy or X amount of whatever, and you don't put in the adequate training or you don't keep up with your nutrition, then as we're going back to money because that's what it boils down to it's it's very mm-hmm. inefficient do you know what I mean? yeah. and obviously yeah, it will yeah. have health impact but what's the point in spending that money if you're not gonna do everything else yeah, exactly. it's, it's probably bad when i'm laughing but it's it is the situation at the end of the day you see it in these yeah. con- like this country as well where a lot of quote-unquote bros will go to the gym they'll, they'll take a few i'll call them supplements and um and they'll, they'll think that they're just magically going to get a johnny bravo body do you gains. <laughs> exactly <laughs> gains. Gains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no honestly anybody listening to this if you ever if it ever crosses your mind to using anything um look we can say here don't but we all know if someone wants to do something they'll do it so all i'm going to say and my advice always is please please get a decent coach and before you do get, you know, hire that coach, ask around of their reputation, um, not from just one person. Try and find different people who've worked with that person. Ask around of their reputation. And, um, you know, if the first thing they offer you is to use um, some gear to achieve your, you know, physical goals, then you need to be concerned because a coach that knows their nutrition well and knows their training well um, isn't going to push that onto someone straight away unless you're at a professional level and you're just looking at upping your game and you know that's a, that's a different story but for a normal person in the gym a few years and just wants to get more of their work more out of their workout and more out of their diet you really need to be cautious so think twice 100 <laughs> percent, and yeah i completely agree with that um when you're talking about coaches there so the, going back to when you first started to compete or made that decision um one of the first things you did was find a coach um did you how, how quickly was that decision made because for me like i was in the gym a few years before i even i didn't even like think of competing or anything but before i even started to think of even having somebody assist me in, in trying to get a bit more out of my workout, was it you were going to the gym and then as soon as you wanted to compete, you knew that you had to get a coach? Was was that including a nutritionist or did you have a separate nutritionist? Like what sort of steps did you take to get to that first stage physique? Um, well, as I said, I was always in the gym. So when the, the you know topic of competing came about, it was immediately, well, I need a coach. Um, just because from being um, in a you know sporting 
background and, you know, having some experience of being coached uh, previously in other sports, I knew the importance of guidance from a coach in any field of sport. And I knew that um, there's going to be times where the athlete's going to be under pressure and needs guidance more than ever. So that I knew because of my previous experience playing sports. So it wasn't even a you know, matter of, oh, am I going to do this on my own? Uh, it was just immediately like, okay, I need a coach. So I need to find a coach. And um, the gym local to me um, had a PT um, who I'd known of that he had, um, you know, coached bikini girls in this field and they were really successful. So he was a friend of um, uh, Omid's cousin. And so I asked his cousin, can you introduce me to him and um, let me have a chat? And I did and I had a chat with him and he said, you know, come have a session with me. Let's see, you know, how much you can push <laughs> in, a, in the <laughs> session, how much I can push you. And um, then we can decide from there if you're willing to work hard enough or not. Obviously, I didn't know what was involved in, you know, getting ready for a bikini. I didn't think it was that hard. And then the first session ended and I remember thinking, yeah, okay, it's hard, but I can do it, you know, and I am so competitive. And immediately from that first session, I just wanted, I saw him as a co as my coach and I wanted him to just be like, you know what, you did brilliant. But he was like, mm, not bad. All right, we can start <laughs> tomorrow. I was like, we can start tomorrow. That means I've done good enough. That's good for me, <laughs> you know. And that's where that's where I started. So that's how I became, uh, you know, around the idea of I came around the idea of thinking I need a coach for this. So how long did it take from that first session in in two thousand eighteen until you stepped on stage? I think I started training um, maybe October two thousand and eighteen, and then I stepped on stage. April 2019 right. for the first time um, and I actually decided to stand on IFBB stage the first time oh, wow. not a fitness and modeling show yeah um, I just wanted to <laughs> I wanted to be involved with the big boys jumping straight in the deep end yeah i just like and my coach was like are you sure you want to do this because it's a totally different game i was like you know what i need to try it to see which one i'm ready for now and which one i like mm -hmm. and i to see the difference if i was ever to go back to ifbb i would know the difference um obviously different posing different you know um expectations different kind of judging um stage presence everything is quite different so um yeah i stepped on stage uh, a first time it was ifbb and i placed second oh looking up yeah that's not bad eh? for your first for your first time <laughs> it was an amateur show but i placed second yeah what what are the steps to get a pro card then like what is how does so, that sort of ranking system work? So back in the days, it was like on a point system a few years ago where you would just compete to gather points based on your placing to um, be able to work, uh, work towards um, 
qualifying based on the points for the Olympia. So now you can do um, pro qualifiers, which okay. first you need to do a regional to get qualified, you know, to do a pro qualifier. So a pro qualifier is uh, your pro card and um, if you place, obviously, and then your invitation to compete in Olympia qualifier. And then the Olympia qualifier, obviously, if you place, um, and that, yeah, if you place in the Olympia qualifier, then you can compete at the Olympia. And then you could have a chance of becoming a bikini Olympia or wellness Olympia or Miss Olympia or Mr. Olympia. So yeah, so that's the ultimate goal, I think, for most, most bodybuilders. For yeah. some, it's just an IFBB uh, pro card. And uh, for many, it's just the experience. Yeah, I was going to say, when you, when you do look through Instagram, when you see that IFBB in the profile, it is more like, a, it's like a certification stamp, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. This, this yeah. is legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, um, a lot of people work so hard and deserve it um, and for years because of judging, not being at the right show at the right time. and. You know, I always just speak it like it is because of the whole political side of it, like any other sport, not just mm -hmm. bodybuilding. Um, and who you know and who you're involved with, who you're coached by, um, you don't, you know, always, the, the best don't always get the opportunity um, instantly to become pro and be seen. Um, so, just because that IFBB Pro, that stamp is there, uh, of course they're certified, um, but it doesn't mean that a lot of people that don't have it, now I'm not speaking of, of myself at all, uh, just out there, I know there's a lot of, you know, bodybuilders who are so experienced, so full of wisdom in this sport that still might not have got their um, pro card but you know they deserve it so yeah. just because that stamp is there doesn't mean that some of the rest aren't good enough as well so that is um that is something else within the sport that you know separates bodybuilders 100 percent. when when you uh so when you got your coach um and I'm guessing that he dialed in your nutrition as well so that you were yeah. ready to get into prep. What, yeah. what are the sort of surprises, I guess, um, is probably the best way to, to sort of mention it is like when you were getting ready to step on stage, what, what sort of things did you not take into consideration? Like I know that um, posing is a big part of like uh, bodybuilding. So that sort of things that I didn't take into consideration. Yeah, like what what did sort of like posing. Really surprise? Yeah, okay. Well, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely posing, and it's important, and it's more important than training, and more important than dieting. That's my opinion. Oh wow! Really? Because yeah, because you can diet, you can get your condition right. You can train, you can 
put all that muscle density on. And if you can't show it off on stage properly um, on the day where you're feeling quite weak, low on water, low on food and so on, um, and you don't have a routine to go by and you don't know how to hold the poses properly or at an angle that suits your body, because that's the thing with posing. It's uh, created, it's um, basically like couture. It's, it's made for you, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, like tailored for you. So that's another thing you, you can, you can look at other people. And so for example, bikini, we can look at routines at the Olympia stage and, you know, copy that, but, you know, our bodies are all different, uh, different shapes. You know, somebody's got mm, smaller waist or their shoulders are better or longer legs or whatever. And all of that, um, a posing coach looks at to give you a routine, to give you poses that suits your physique. Mm -hmm. And if you can master that and have a good stage presence, then all your hard work is put to waste basically because you you are you are um scored on your posing as well yeah 100 percent. and uh, like obviously you watch some of the some of the greats like um my favorite's kai green kai Mm. green does some unbelievable posing routines on stage and things and yeah and when he's obviously moving around the stage uh is like it is art essentially um and you don't get a long uh like a a lot of time to show your um physique so the very short amount of time that you're given you want to be doing the best and you want to be hitting exactly what is the best in your physique um not wasting time on things that you shouldn't really be showing (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean you want to show your best you want to just show the (laughs) exactly you want to show your best so that's why posing was definitely um a surprise and the amount of time that I had to practice posing was definitely a surprise. I was like, how do people practice posing so much? Train, diet, prep food. It was like, it was in the beginning, I felt like it was crazy. But then I realized that, you know, we as humans, if we get into a habit, even if it's a good habit, it's hard to break. And uh, we work better on routine. So I've adapted now and it's, much easier <laughs> <laughs> do, do you feel like it helps training as well because if you're learning how to control each muscle group so specifically to whatever you need to show on stage like yeah. if obviously when you're practicing that do you feel like say i don't know if you're trying to show off your shoulders and putting them in a specific place in the routine when you train shoulders you can target your muscle groups more specifically as well it definitely makes you more uh, conscious mm-hmm. um, and as many know in bodybuilding the mind and muscle connection is a huge factor yeah. so being conscious and being able to get that you know you, because when you pose you you want to see a certain version of yourself in that pose and if you see a weakness and you see that it could be better say for example your shoulders you were referring to then you will um, work on those weaknesses in the gym as well because you will look at your pose and you will look at maybe the same pose other people are doing and you can 
you know, compare and even look at yourself previously on stage in that pose and see if you've had any improvements or if not, that you have to work on it. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely posing helps in that aspect as well, 100%. Yeah, because I think it was, um, it, it's not specifically for posing, but just being more aware of yourself. I think it was yeah. Bonnie Coleman said he used to take a picture of himself every day, print it yeah. out and then get a marker and basically <laughs> highlight where he wants to grow and what, what yeah. looked right and what didn't look right. Yeah. Um, and it's constantly like that, just obsessing over yeah, the minor details. body parts. <laughs> yeah, minor little details, yeah. How yeah. important is recovery? Because I know, uh, obviously, we have primal therapy, Karen on, who, who obviously you're uh, a client of as well. And, and um, how important is that side of things to make sure that, you know, that you recover properly, you get the adequate care and attention that you need to? First of all, I just got to say, Karen is like my favorite human in this industry. He is so real that you can't get anyone more realer than this guy. And you got to listen to everything he says. Yeah, all the advice. If you're his client, like just do what he says and you'll be fine. I've been with him for like, I think over two years. And he's just like, I've had a lot of injuries and he just fixed me up before stepping on stage helping me to be able to pose better on stage uh, he's just been amazing and uh, you know that's another thing having someone like that in the team is, is part of a team um, that can help you hit your poses correctly and um, um, so that that I just wanted to point that out before anything and um, I'm so grateful for him to always be there because he saved me so many times um so what what was it that you asked exactly how important is recovery not just uh, recovery. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so I see Karen once a month right and that's just to get some work done so I can get rid of pain and um this time around in my off season which I'm in now my recovery uh, with the new coach I'm working, um, he's, you know, put that recovery up. So three, two to three times a day, uh, a week, sorry, I'm, re I'm taking rest. Whereas okay. before it was just like twice, twice a week, maybe once a week in the middle of the week, I would take rest. Um, but I've realized how much more that is important, especially if you're looking for growth you have to give your muscles time to rest, to recover, uh, especially the bigger muscles. You know, if you're doing, uh, you wanna grow your legs, you need to give your legs much more rest um, or your, your back muscles. But overall, I have noticed that in my, and I noticed in my second year of competing, how much recovery is important. Uh, and it's just as in, you know, when I said, posing is more important than dieting and more important than um, training recovery is as important as training there has to be a very nice balance between training and recovering and always you know get yourself checked out uh, go see a chiropractor um, if you've got pain like you know a little bit of ache in your shoulder I can't ignore it you know, you can't afford to ignore it. You've just got to get it seen to because that can develop into something that just going to put you off training for, for a long time. And a yeah. lot of people have that habit, you know, they ignore small pains and then they'll have other pains and like it'll start in the shoulder and then it'll be 
developing in their neck and then they'll they'll not know this is linked Link. this is yeah, yeah. relevant yeah so yeah just being so careful that you don't get injured and so my appointment with Karen once a month is has been regular for like nearly three years now literally <laughs> and I, I look forward to it it's that fear of missing out isn't it it's like people overtrain because they're too scared to undertrain and then True. people don't want to see their shoulder because then they don't want to yeah. miss out on the gains as the boys would yeah. say <laughs> yeah to anything you think that's putting too much stress on your body is going to do more bad than any good mm-hmm. so i don't believe there's such a thing as overtraining it's just listening to your body really what it yeah. is and everybody's bodies are different so just listening to your body when you feel like you're tired take a day off take two days off take a week off if you have to you know just listen to your body and look after it get it seen and uh, don't ignore the signals it's giving you um i think that's the main thing that's the most important thing and most of the time what I've found is like when you do take them few days off or like up to a week off when you come back to the gym you end up very quickly regaining your strength and then beating personal best because your, yes, your muscles have that rest time. The performance will be much better. Yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, your recent competitions over the summer uh, because of obviously well of the back of Covid it did allow for probably more time in between for off season and improvement and that side of things but when the we were supposed to like schedule the original podcast before I think your first competition (laughs) but the competition got moved back because of all these COVID problems yeah so how does that impact prep as well if you you've got six to eight weeks and you are dieting for a specific day and then that day gets put back two weeks yeah well first um I will, the first time it happened the lockdown happened I was actually three weeks out from doing my pro debut for the fitness and modeling show at Miami Pro and I had already waited a year to get ready because I wanted to bring my best for the pro show because I was competing as a pro now so I had already waited a year and then got ready three weeks before the competition lockdown happened and I was in a very good shape as well I was very happy um for the first time a bodybuilder was happy with their shape when they were going <laughs> on stage which is very rare <laughs> um but yeah um I, I was three weeks out lockdown happened and I kept it for as long as I could I think for about another three four weeks and I thought maybe it's going to open up maybe it's going to open up and then I got to a stage where I thought like okay I can't go on forever because it can become damaging to my body as well I'm just going to try and stay lean um you know with the gyms being closed that was quite difficult to do and I've got a lot of I don't know if you can see in the background I've got a lot of like gym uh, equipment I've got a bench and treadmill but back then I didn't have that and this was because of COVID in, uh, investment yeah. <laughs> so yeah I invested in some um, equipment but um, going forward um, I just thought you know what I need to get my mind off competition and just try and stay healthy and at a time where everybody is catching COVID and the health is the most important thing, I just need to try and stay healthy and just do whatever I can. And then um, um, the restrictions were lifted. And I heard from my federation that they, they're looking 
to put on another show and there was a lot of anxiety behind that a lot of anxiety of do I get ready do I not what do I do um and for weeks it was just so hard getting back into prep because of being unsure as what to what's going on but eventually I did um and I started working with a different coach um just wanted to see what they had to offer and bring a different aspect just you know a different technique I thought that might um motivate me mm-hmm. into starting my new prep without the whole anxiety of and the first I think two three weeks was I was still at home gyms hadn't still opened so I was in prep while being at home and that's when I started buying some equipment and I thought you know what look I'm just gonna buy equipment because even if lockdown is lifted I'm gonna always use it because I'm in this industry like this is my life now so yeah <laughs> So yeah, and then um, and then there was problems with the venue uh, because of COVID um, and spectators. So the original date—that's when we were talking to do this—and the original date got put back. Um, and then they said it's going to get cancelled. And then they said, "Okay, no, we've got a new venue." So two weeks more extended. So I ended up being in like. 15 weeks prep I think instead of 12 yeah like it was three weeks extra but I just pulled through I thought you know what it's fine I I eased it down a little bit and then pushed it back up so when when you like find out that date do you do you have like a refeed meal so that you can sort of top up your calories and then come back down a bit or do you just stay on that steady decline or how does that work Uh, yeah I mean it was a it was a little bit different with me yes usually you do but it was a bit different with me because I had signed up with a coach they were supposed to be like top in the industry and had like lots of girls on the bikini stage and this is where I was saying about the stamp that you get it might not always be as it seems so I went and signed up with like one of the top coaches in the industry and then um as I was getting ready for this um, pro debut which I was once in a really good shape for so I was happy this yeah. time around cutting that weight down I wasn't seeing much progress and I was actually um, panicking and I was like you know what because of COVID I've, I've put on weight now I've got to lose it and it's becoming harder and this coach doesn't know my body can't understand it and nothing against them but we just can't work together because it's not working for me so I had to change coach so I had to go from being on one kind of diet to another kind of diet and then looking at new dates of when is the actual competition well no I still got a lot more work to do and we'll do a very small refeed and then we'll get back 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 straight back into things again so I didn't I didn't I wasn't at a stage where I could just completely yeah step back I was still at a stage where I needed more work so yeah so I didn't unfortunately get that big refeed (laughs) (laughs) I was five weeks out and I didn't look like I was five weeks out Mm -hmm. I didn't look like I had dieted enough and um fortunately my amazing current coach um, from Ace Physiques, a new base. He took me on at five weeks, which no other coach, no other coach would have done such late stage into into the prep. But he did, and we won. 
I was just about to say, but you won, yeah. But we won actually two overalls, yeah. We won two overalls together and won a top five placements at the European uh, NPC show. I was going to say, yeah, congratulations. And and I know you went to Europe Thank straight you. afterwards. It was like yeah. a couple of weeks afterwards. The, the you, So you won the two on the one competition and then a couple of weeks afterwards you went to Europe. Yeah, so at Miami Pro, which was a fitness and modeling competition, I made the decision that I wanted to... Um, and uh, my bodybuilding career with the fitness and modeling world and transition into IFBB, um, having had that experience um, back at the first time I stepped on stage, I knew that that's where I wanted to be and my physique could pull through for that kind of stage. And um, so when I did uh, my pro debut and got the two overalls, um, one of the overalls had a sponsorship um, to go to um, Europe and compete at the MPC, which is an amazing, absolutely amazing stage. Um, it was just a dream come true, really. And I didn't think that I would ever be given this opportunity. Um, but yeah, so the Federation sponsored me to go uh, with all costs paid. And so yeah, that was my that was my <laughs> transition into IFBB. That's not bad at all expense paid. Yeah, it was yeah, trip yeah. to Spain, wasn't it? Ten weeks or something. Yeah, trip to Spain. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I stayed a week extra because I needed rest after my competition. Obviously, I was going to lose that opportunity. <laughs> of course, recovery is important. Remember, like, exactly. Sand, sea, sand, all that I needed. <laughs> what was the, what was your first meal after your competition? Your first like big right preps done. I can have whatever yeah. I want. Oh yeah, I went out for a paella. Uh, <laughs> so I was well, in Spain. Went in Spain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I went in Spain. Uh, I, uh, yeah, and, but no, I think I ordered like ten different things. <laughs> um, I ordered. I love seafood, so I ordered a lot of seafood. Um, I ordered a lot of dessert. Um, at that point, all I was thinking was, I'm just not going to tell my coach how mad I went I'm just going to tell him I had I had a cheat meal but I didn't go mad but <laughs> <laughs> he let us saw the pictures and he was just like you know what enjoy it <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's hard to lie when when you put in the modern Instagram story <laughs> but you know what I was actually there for like four or five days prior to the competition mm. and I was seeing all this food and like yeah. you know being out all the time as well and um Omid, bless him, he had to, like, not... Had to prep with you. <laughs> yeah, well, he had to prep with me, and I actually had to take a grill. I took I, I took a grill with me um, to Spain, and I had it in my hotel room, which I got told off for a couple of times, but it just had to be done. I mean, I went on a whole shopping trip to find asparagus, which I never found in the end, because uh, it was out. I don't know, because all the bodybuilders were in town, and <laughs> I'm not sure what was going on, but I just couldn't find asparagus and white fish. And I had to just bring it all back to the hotel and had a whole setup in the balcony of meal prep. <laughs> That's how you know the bodybuilders in town when the asparagus goes missing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, what had to be done had to be done. So I wasn't going to let my coach down and um, wasn't going to let myself down just because I couldn't get hold of, you know, 
the equipment stuff that I needed to prep my food I was gonna make that happen no matter what so I did I kept getting told off by the hotel and I was like but this I have to do this can you make can your chef make me this fish and they, I would happily order and they were like no you're not allowed to use it either it was like well I have no other choice and was like in the middle of prep I'm just arguing with all the hotel staff as well but yeah it is what it is sometimes you gotta fight for your goal like that <laughs> well exactly exactly yeah. is that what the future holds for you now is are you gonna be competing in more IFBB's competitions yeah, so I'm done with the fitness and modeling world. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I absolutely loved it because it was just so much more fun and uh, a lot more glam to it. So I got to experience that, which was really good. Um, I met a lot of great people, uh, amazing people in the industry. I'm so grateful for pushing me to the point where I am now. Um, and uh, yeah, I have officially started my um, journey to the IFBB Pro Card, and uh, I will be back in prep. I'm not completely off season right now. I'm still watching food. I'm still training every day uh, because I don't want to get back to the situation I had in after COVID, mm-hmm. after the lockdown. So I'm really watching it this time to make things easier for me. I'm, you know ease it down for my body as well so January I'll be back in prep um hopefully I'll be back on stage in Spain again um or around June June time yeah should should be fun should be very fun yeah hopefully I can get a much higher placement I mean I wasn't expecting um placement at all for first time being on that stage I mean the, the competition is just so high um when I got there I thought okay I might not have a chance but I'm just grateful for being here yeah um even more grateful because I'm a woman of my culture and I'm able to be here and stand on such a huge stage um so I felt like I had already won to be honest and then when I got off stage uh, I got I didn't even get compared that much and I thought oh my god that's a really bad sign I'm not even going to be top 10 so I walked off and then I was going backstage again and I just heard my name being shouted like come back where are you going and I thought (laughs) well I'm done I I didn't even get compared it was like no stay here you're gonna get something your name's on the list you're going back on for awards and I thought oh my goodness are you serious and I didn't even care what awards I just the fact that I was actually being placed at my first show it's such a huge competition I was just like oh my god thank you like <laughs> literally yeah all my hard work paid off which was a great feeling so going back for always going back for first place <laughs> and if you think the first competition was in 2019 in 2021 is it's only two years and 18 months of that is COVID like that's a it's a lot of progress in a short amount of time yeah how, how far how far do you want to take this we mentioned Olympia before and he said everybody builds a dream yes and because I'm such a competitive person and I never get involved in anything that I don't I don't finish in a way that I'm satisfied do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I've given myself 
um, three years in this industry, in this field, um, because I do want to start a family. Um, I can't, you know, drag Omid into this forever because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard living with someone that's been pressing in this industry. And so because I want to, you know, have that life, I've given myself three years. So, but I'm really going to push uh, for the next three years. And um, my vision is Olympia. Um, my vision at the moment isn't winning the Olympia. I'm very realistic in everything I do. At the moment isn't winning the Olympia. It's just getting to the Olympia. Mm -hmm. I've given myself three years um, to see if I can achieve that goal and get to the Olympia stage. And if I do do that within three years, we can have another chat and then I'll be like, look, I'm going to win the Olympia. <laughs> Definitely. I believe in you. I believe in you. I'll be cheering on. I'll be like, yo, that's Jada. She's on the Olympia stage. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the current vision right now. No, that's amazing. And and I again I really appreciate your time today. I've fully enjoyed this conversation. It's we've, we've dove deep on quite a few topics that uh yeah I'm really happy about to be fair. So uh, again I I'm really so glad it. we got the chance to do this. I, I felt like it really was jinxed and we just couldn't make the time, yeah. but I'm really it was happy worth the wait. It was worth the wait. <laughs> so, yeah, and I and I really hope somebody out there can take some good out of you know all the conversations that we've had tonight uh, and it could be useful for someone out there just always believe believe in yourself and honestly never stop just don't stop doing what you love just go get it go get it 100 <laughs> just before we wrap up though i i tend to finish on the same five questions that I ask to every guest. Uh, mm -hmm. Sort of like a quick fire fashion thing. So um, the first one of these is, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Um, that's really a hard question. They don't get easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I'm proud of the person I have become, regardless of everything that society put me through and tried to make me believe about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of who I've become Definitely. and for not giving up. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to? I'm always looking forward to seeing the smile on Omid and Ayub, my coach's face, when I get my pro card. What is your biggest motivation? Biggest motivation. Biggest motivation. There are people who are my motivation in life. Uh, my partner is my motivation and uh, he's my biggest motivation because he's pushed me in this field and he made me find myself. 
in what I love doing and, you know, uh, in who I could be that I, that was hidden for so many years, basically. So, um, yeah. Yeah. What is um, your definition of success? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I always think about that. Um, I think success is when you get to a certain level of maturity um, that um, you can see your achievements uh, and not just materials as part of your success. Um, I, I think that when you know that you've done your best in whatever it is um you can feel successful um that's what success is for me not material things not money um not trophies just knowing that i've done the best i could in that situation towards that goal is success smashed it and last but not least, because it's the Culture Cast podcast, how has your culture affected you in your journey thus far? Oh, dramatically. It's motivated me. It's made me sad at some at points and then gave me the drive to get back up again uh, and, you know, to show um, a lot of times that you can change people's mentality and you can um, do things uh, against um, what you've been told for years, but do it in a good way, you know, bring something good. Um, it's, it's really had a huge effect. Uh, and I'm forever actually grateful uh, for who I am, where I come from, and because it's a big part of um, who I am today. Smashed it. That's amazing. It was a nice Thank way to you. end the episode. Um, and I really appreciate your time again. I, I will leave uh, links and things into the description for your, your socials. And uh, is there anything you would like to say before we wrap up? No, honestly, I think everything has been covered. Uh, I'm just grateful to have this opportunity to speak out um, to everyone out there who will, might have had the same experiences as me, uh, who might have thought some of the same as my thoughts at some points in their lives look at me look at what i'm doing uh, look at where i am um i decided to continue regardless of what was going on around me and um you all do the same you all just keep going and smash it <laughs> perfect absolutely perfect